Thank you all for joining us today for another episode of Seasons at Stone River. I'm Megan Barber. And I'm Philip Gallion. And today we are going to be talking about the Ascension of the Lord, which is celebrated on May 13th. So in honor of this holy and important Christ event, our episode today will contain liturgy devoted to celebrating this day and to um, exploring why we celebrate it and why it's important. Absolutely. And so as we, as we begin this podcast, let's have an opening prayer. O God of earth and sky, as Jesus came among us in Bethlehem to raise us up to heaven, so today we recall his departing from us at Jerusalem to be in all places. Though he is hidden from our sight, enable us to abide in him by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit until his mercy and grace fill your whole creation. Amen. So I think the question for some of us may be, what is Ascension of the Lord? It takes place 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus ascends into heaven. Jesus goes up to heaven. So all the gospels, pretty much Matthew alludes to it, but it doesn't have an actual account of Jesus's ascension, but the other ones do. But we look at this idea of the ascension of the Lord as being a basic part of our theological understanding. So the things that church history has taught us and things that we as United Methodists believe. So we see that as being part of our Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. It mentions Jesus ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So this idea of this right hand of God, right, means that that's a seat of honor. So Jesus ascends to his rightful place at the right hand or at the seat of honor of God the Father. So it is the end of Jesus's physical presence on earth. But it's also, again, that return of his rightful place to heaven. Jesus talks throughout all the Gospels of how he is going to leave and that he's going to die, he's going to resurrect, and he's going to leave. It's kind of the culmination or the ending point of all of those kind of prophecies that Jesus gives about what's going to happen to him. And so what we see in the ascension of the Lord is kind of the language of enthronement. That Jesus ascends into his full authority and assumes the fullness of his reign Mm -hmm. as being the king of all, over all things. So Jesus is Lord over all the earth. And so while he's not physically present with us, Jesus continues to love us and longs to bring us into the presence to dwell with him for all eternity. And so this whole thing about the ascension really sets the stage then for the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. For it's through the Holy Spirit that one, Jesus is able to continue to be with us, continues mm-hmm. to be present, and brings us also into the presence of God. But it's also through this other part of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, that God literally dwells within us and continues growing us and continues also the work that Jesus began on earth that we are called to continue after he has ascended. Yeah, absolutely. And and when we look at the ascension of the Lord, there's there's some scriptural foundations for it as as you've talked about Megan, but the 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 one place in scripture that the ascension of the Lord really it's highlighted, it's in the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 and, and it says this. 
In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, uh, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So when we look at this passage of scripture here in, in Acts 1, 1 through 11, I really get a sense of a couple of things. So first of all, Jesus ascended mm -hmm. so that the Holy Spirit could descend. You see in John 14, 15 through 20, Jesus is telling his disciples that if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned and I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. So what I find really fascinating about this is, again, Jesus had to ascend for the Holy Spirit to come. That without Jesus going back to heaven and being with the father, that the advocate, the one yeah. that helps us and, and counsels us, the Holy Spirit could not have come. And that is who Jesus sent to be with us, that he wasn't leaving us to be on our own, right? He said, I'm not leaving you orphaned. I'm not going to be with you all this time. And then that's it. No more present. Through his ascension, that the Holy Spirit was able to live within us. We no longer had one figure of God. The Holy mm -hmm. Spirit now resides in every person who believes and follows Jesus. And so now we're seeing this presence of God is not just limited. It's now unlimited. There's yeah. no limitations. There's no bounds that God can be with us. And we'll see this in the culmination and the fullness in the second coming of Jesus when the new heaven and the new Jerusalem and the new earth is all, all set. That's when we'll see the ultimate no boundaries being within God's presence. But another part of this passage that really I find fascinating is the fact that Jesus received all authority upon his death and resurrection. And this ascension is to take his place at the seat of honor, right? The right hand of God the Father. 
So we kind of see the same language of having this authority in Matthew 28, especially in that opening line of the Great Commission on verse 18. This is his last time that he met with his disciples, and he opens by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we see that Jesus has the authority to empower us to go out to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we'll see in Acts 2 that Jesus enacts this empowerment. Mm -hmm. It's through the Holy Spirit that we're empowered to do those things. But we're only empowered to do those things And he's only able to send the Holy Spirit to empower us to do those things by his authority that he received when he was crucified, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. That's when the fullness of his authority took place. In Acts 1, we see this at the very end of this passage that we read, that although that Christ will come back the same way that he went up, We are not to stand around staring up at the clouds or trying to determine when he will come back. There is work Mm -hmm. to be done. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that work. And and so I think about us at Stone River, and we are a very active church that really cares about our community. And we do a, a lot of things well. Like we have the backpack ministry. We are doing all this focused with mental health. We have our impact missions where we partner with other communities. We're building this holistic center and starting holistic ministry to care for those who are grieving. We're doing a lot of great things. And that's a part of those kind of things, but that we are to work on while we wait. But what do you think are some other work that we are called to do as we wait? And how do you think and we as the church at Stone River can continue growing in active kingdom work. Yeah, I think that from from a communal level, just like humans have their blind spots, churches have their blind spots too. And I think the question that we need to continue to ask ourselves is how do we how do we go about discovering our blind spots and what do we need to do about them? And I think that Something that that we can always work on as individuals and as churches is practicing empathy and looking at situations in the world from a perspective of God's mercy and God's grace instead of this, or at least what I perceive to be like, this reactionary form of, well, you should do this better. Well, you should go do this, that, or the other instead of actually you have these people who have attitudes of, well, you should be better than this. You should do this better. And in a criticizing way, not in a constructive way, but in a way that doesn't present God's mercy and grace the best way that they can. And I think when we see those that are struggling differently than we do, when we encounter those who may be hurting differently than we are, we don't necessarily know how to respond. And I think the and I think the way that we respond is with empathy. And it and I'm almost preaching to the choir on this or the listeners at this point, but I'm preaching to all of us that it's hard to look outside our comfort zones and practice empathy. Probably 10, 10, 12 years ago, there was this song that came out by a Christian artist by the name of Brendan Heath. And it says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me eyes to see your pain. What if we put on glasses that when we when we look through them, we saw the way that God sees the world? And I think that's something that as we're continuing to serve our neighbors, that we're continuing to serve our community, practicing empathy and trying our hardest and asking the questions of, you know, how does God see those that are hurting? I think that's something that we can always do better at. 
Yeah. And I love how you highlighted empathy because I do think that's a good place to begin. So empathy is very different than sympathy. Sympathy is feeling pity for somebody or like bless their hearts. You know, we use that phrase a lot. But empathy is really trying to understand how a person is feeling, what they're experiencing. It's kind of like that old saying, you know, take a walk in their shoes. Instead of, like you said, putting those shoulds or shouldn't on people that we get an understanding of this is why they're responding or this is why they need this help or, you know, just understanding again that everybody's different and that we don't know the whole story for what everybody's facing. Um, and I think that's even true within our own church that, you know, as we continue this work that we even find empathy for one another, we work on teams and we're serving ministry together as well. You know, I, I do think that a good place to begin is really, again, cultivating that community awareness. You know, again, we at Sin River do a really good job of that. Part of the whole back on some of our things is that we just need people who are willing to be a part of these ministries and who are ready to come back and after COVID and being able to go back to serving and feeling comfortable doing that. But we continue to cultivate that community awareness in our neighborhoods where we live, in the areas that we shop at, you know, just being mindful and seeing people, right? Really seeing them, acknowledging their presence and really being aware of what needs we see. Are we seeing a lot of just wore out parents? Are we seeing a food shortage in areas? Are we seeing a lot of homeless population? You know, what are we seeing? And then the question could be, well, how do we respond to that? Because Again, when we look at this, I like to call it a model that's in this Acts, and especially that one eight about where we start here, closest to the center, and then we move out. And that takes a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> people to does. do the work in the center and to move out. And so, as we are continuing to grow, as we're moving into four years, as being a church, as we continue to dream and plan and have visions, that we just realize we never stop doing these things. Because I think on the other side of this, church people are really good about just being content and about we're just waiting for Jesus to come. And I don't even get into people who sit and try to figure out when Jesus is coming because we have a lot of people who try to do that too. We see very clearly here in this Acts text that Jesus doesn't expect his disciples to sit around. In all the Gospels, every ending of it, as we've been studying in our Gospel Discipleship, that they're all a call to continue doing the work that Jesus began. And they're all a continue to love and to serve and to carry the gospel forward to all the people mm -hmm. that we encounter. It takes a, an active kind of waiting and not a passive kind of waiting. Because if you look at, again, how the gospels end and even this call that we have an axe here, like it's an active kind of waiting. And I don't think we as Christians can sit back on the sidelines much longer or any longer if. It's just important that we understand that, you know, God has given us gifts and graces. And while unique, there's still gifts that, that God has given us. And are, are we using those gifts and are we using this time that we have until Jesus comes back? Are we using that time well by actively waiting or passively waiting? Exactly. I love that idea of that active wait, because that's exactly what we're supposed to do is an active waiting. 
As we close, I'd love to offer up a prayer for an Ascension of the Lord podcast as we as we're finishing up this Ascension discussion. There's a there's a closing prayer that's that's really beautiful, and I'd like for us to to pray that. Oh God, you have glorified our victorious Savior with a triumphant resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven, where he sits at your right hand. Grant, we ask you, that his triumphs and glories may ever shine in our eyes to make us see more clearly through his sufferings and more courageously endure our own, being assured by his example that if we endeavor to live and die like him for the cause of your love in ourselves and others, you will raise our dead bodies again and conforming them to his glorious body calls us above the clouds and gives us the possession of your everlasting kingdom. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to point out that these beautiful prayers that we used in our discussion today come from the Order of St. Luke publications from 2000. And so thank you all for listening today. And I hope that you all have a blessed week. And you've been listening to Seasons at Stone River from the church at Stone River in Decatur, Alabama.